Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. I'm Kimmy Culp, and this is All the Wiser. We are a one-for-one podcast and make a $2,000 donation to a charity for every interview you hear. Happy New Year, everyone, and welcome to our very first episode of All the Wiser in 2021. As we all know, last year totally sucked. But one thing that did not suck for me last year was having the opportunity to produce this podcast. Our guests constantly remind me that we can, in fact, do hard things. And not only can we do hard things, but we can learn a lot about ourselves along the way and be wiser on the other end. So my hope for this podcast and for myself and for you is that 2021 will eventually be a fresh start. And we can all recognize the ways in which we've changed and know that it is ultimately us who will be the author of our future life stories. Last year, we talked a lot about connection and disconnection, which is exactly the theme of today's conversation. Imagine you're a year into your marriage, excited about becoming a mother, and you find out you're pregnant. It's ultrasound day, and you find out you have twins. Hooray, two babies. And then the doctor tells you something you could never have imagined. Your twins are conjoined. Your two little babies are sharing one body, and there is no certainty ahead about their health, their survival, or their quality of life. That is what happened to our guest today, Emily Stark. And you are going to hear from Emily in just a moment about making brave, hard choices that last a lifetime and how her two daughters became her greatest teachers. But first, a couple of items. Have you joined our newsletter? If not, you can go to allthewiserpodcast.com and subscribe now. You can also follow us on Instagram at allthewiserpodcast or find us on Facebook and Twitter. Today's $2,000 one-for-one charitable donation benefits Step Up. Step Up works with girls in under-resourced communities and empowers them to become confident, college-bound, career-focused, and ready to be the next generation of professional women. Now, here's today's interview with the incredible Emily Stark. Hello, Emily, and welcome to All the Wiser. Hi, thank you so much for having me. First of all, we need to set the stage and ask, what color is your hair right now? (laughs) I would go kind of a red auburn. Not super bright, but we're transitioning to fall. (laughs) So before we're about to have a conversation that I know is going to be beautiful and meaningful and insightful. But I'm going to start because when I Googled you, 
you dye your hair all these rad colors and you're in your 50s, early 50s. Yes. And I have had like a secret Gwen Stefani, like decade long girl crush. And I always was like, I'm going to rock pink hair. And then I was like, well, now I can't do that because I have three kids and I'm 44. And after no. I, I, I told you, Emily, when we talk, I'm like, after this conversation, I may have blue hair. So watch out, people. Perfect. Perfect. I'll cheer you on. I feel like we should just embrace and try things. It, You know, especially with hair color, the worst you're going to do is change it back to something else. It's temporary. <laughs> yes. So this interview is about life lessons, and that's a good one as well. But I am so happy to be having this conversation. I really enjoyed connecting with you as we talked about the idea of doing this. And on the podcast, what I love to do as opposed to me introducing is have you introduce yourself. So Emily, how would you introduce yourself to our audience? You know, I would introduce myself as Emily Stark. I am the mother of the 20th set of Pygopagus conjoined twins to be born in the world alive. And it's an incredible story of survival, and I'm excited to share it today with you. I am excited as well. And, you know, I read something that I thought was beautiful, and I'm going to credit you and potentially steal this for future episodes. But you talked about the beginning of stories, and you asked people in your writing, where does your story begin? And today we are going to talk about the journey of your daughters and what you've learned through them. Where does the story begin? You know, the story really begins when I met my husband and we dated for seven years and then we finally got married. I would say a few months after we got married, I said, I want a baby. I was that woman on a mission that when you say, I want to be pregnant, you want to be pregnant right now. And took us about um, two and a half months to get pregnant. We did the basal thermometer, if anyone's familiar with that. And we got pregnant on August 3rd. And I started to read that book, What to Expect When You're Expecting, because I think that's what everyone does for guidance. And we went into an appointment in October and we were confirmed we were pregnant. I read that book as well. It's like, your child is the size of a poppy seed. Your child is now a grapefruit. Yes. (laughs) It's always like fruits. Yes. So you find out you're pregnant. At what appointments do the doctor share with you that you are in fact pregnant with twins? So I went, when we went in for the appointment, I said, I'm ready for my ultrasound. And our doctor said, ultrasound? What are you talking about? And I said, no, this is the appointment. You're going to tell me I have twins in there. I've already convinced my husband I have twins. You're today going to confirm that I have twins. And she said, oh, honey, you don't want twins. You're not big enough. Nobody wants twins. And I said, no, I do. And I want you to move that little heart monitor around and tell me there's two babies. And she said, that's not how we do it. So she said, I'll do a baby count for you. And so let's head down. We'll do a quick baby count ultrasound and I will show you, you have one baby in there. And I said, okay, fine. And we went walking down and she started to kind of scan my stomach. And she said, see this little white circle? It's a head. And then my husband started to scream, there's two, there's two. And I turned to my husband and I said, are they Siamese? You told me that and my jaw dropped. So intuitively, you somehow knew that 
these babies were connected. And I apologize, I cut you off. So what does your husband say? So, nope, he taps me on the leg and he says, oh, M, nobody has Siamese twins, seriously. And we left that appointment knowing we had two babies. And my husband started to write emails to family and friends and saying, you know, our family is not only, you know, we're not adding one baby, we're family is actually doubling. There'll be four of us. We found out today we're having twins. And my husband typed, and can you believe Emily thought that they were Siamese? And did you like truly in your bones believe it? Or it was kind of this thing that came and maybe a little bit like lighthearted, oh, they're Siamese? Or did you just say, I know these babies are, I mean, I'm I'm wondering how intense that felt for you. You know, it was one of those, you know how something falls out of your mouth and you kind of think, did I just say that? (laughs) You know, and so she, you know, it just, I just blew it off as, wow, that's a really odd, you hear yes, confirm that they're twins in there. And then I ask if they're Siamese and she ascended, well, she essentially moved the ultrasound monitor around and she said, this is not an official ultrasound. And she said, see this little white line, they're in two different sacks. So when we left that appointment based on her, this little white line that you're trying to understand all these little white images of things and what they are. That kind of made me stop thinking about it because she said, nope, they're in two different sacks. Great. So this thing flies out of your mouth, which your husband is entertained by, and (laughs) you go home with the excitement that you're having twins and sharing it with your friends and family as, as anyone would. Can you tell me about the appointment where you learned that, in fact, the twins were conjoined? Yes. So we went back for the official ultrasound appointment about two weeks later, and um, we became high risk. Once you have two babies, you become high risk. And so the ultrasound tech just went over and over my stomach, and it must have been a good 45 minutes to an hour. And she said nothing, not a word. And we had no experience with being pregnant before or doing a real ultrasound before. So we didn't think anything of the time frame. And finally, the doctor came in and he went over that. He kind of focused in on the lower right corner and he went over it and over it. And then he finally turned the screen off and he looked at my husband and I and he said, they're joined somewhere in the lower region. I'll get you a little bit from the medical journal, but your babies are joined. And that was the moment I can tell you, I just, I tuned out. I looked at the ceiling and I thought, you're an idiot. I'm going to get off this table. I'm going to jump up and down. We're going to lay back down and you're going to do the ultrasound again. And you will see they moved apart. And so I kind of tuned out. My husband took over um, from there communicating with the doctor and he had this huge medical journal and he came back with a very small paragraph and it said conjoined twins and here is your information about these babies and he asked us do you want to do an MRI to see how joined they are and get more information And of course, my husband and I said, yes, we want to understand this and know what's going on. But we left that day 
I think, you know, you've got this huge excitement of, oh my gosh, I'm having twins. It's finally coming true. I told my mom I was going to have twins. It's happening. And then all of a sudden, it's being pulled away from you with the threat of, are they going to make it? Are they not? And so we left that appointment, I would say, in shock. First of all, what are statistically the odds that you would be pregnant with conjoined twins? Actually, they're a lot higher than you really expect. One in 250,000 pregnancies are conjoined. The hard part with conjoined twins is that they will live within the mom as being the host for a longer amount of time. But to get them into the world alive without the mother keeping them alive is the tricky part. So they have like a 24% chance of survival within the first 24 hours of being born. Wow. Okay. But we lucked out. So we ended up with pygopagus conjoined twinge, which means butt to butt. So they didn't share heart. They didn't share key pieces. They have a better chance of survival based on how the girls were joined. And explain from a medical and anatomy standpoint, how were the girls connected within your body? So if you were to see them, they're laying back to back and their spine went into a U. So it's their butt cheek on one side, and then the spine is what connected them. They each had two legs, you know, so they had all their organs and their pieces, but it's like you glued their spine and their butt cheeks together. Got it. What was your best and worst case scenario as told to you by doctors or, you know, your own research that you did? You now know that they're conjoined. You know they're incredibly high risk. But what was your best and worst case scenario for the girls in your pregnancy? So when we tried to research it on our own and we went to, of course, you know, the internet to do that, it was terrible because what was popping up is sideshow, circus, freaks. And so we stopped doing that very quickly. And so that MRI appointment, when we went in to kind of figure out how joined were they and what's the best case and worst case scenario, we kept asking the main doctor, we said, give us the quality of life of them. That's what we need to know. And he showed us all these images of them and they were joined in the lower region. They told us best case is that you could separate them and they would have no lingering effects whatsoever. And worst case, they would be paralyzed from where they were joined down. And when he said to me, we kept saying, give us quality of life. And that's that was very pivotal for us because he, as soon as he said, if that is all you wanted to know, we didn't need to do an MRI. The quality of their life is up to you two. You have the power to give them a great quality of life. And when he did that, it took, I felt so hopeless by that point, but he gave me my power back. And I knew I could do this. I could, I could give them a great quality of life, whether they were paralyzed or not. I had a Durango. We could do car seats and wheelchairs. We'll rip the staircase out of our home and put in an elevator. We got this. I can do this. <laughs> and that was very, very pivotal for me and my mindset to go, I got this. I can definitely 
do this. Now what? I love that doctor. I hope he's still around treating people. And, you know, I know you've called that time an awakening, which really was it woke you up to think about it in a whole new light. I know that during this time, you chose to keep it private. Yes. So your friends didn't know you had a baby shower, you're pregnant with twins, but no one around you knows. Why did you choose to keep the news private and not share? So when James and I came home from the first night when they confirmed that they were conjoined, I tried to call my mother and tell her that, and I couldn't get the words out of my mouth. I just cried. And so my husband hopped on the phone and explained it to my mom. And it was so hard to say. And so we kind of thought, you know what, this is going to be our journey But in a very interesting way, because we have Kaiser, they have the public relations person. And she said to us, you're either going to control the media or the media is going to control you. You make that choice. And so we didn't tell people publicly and I couldn't say things outwardly without crying. But what we did do is we documented it with a TV, a local TV crew. And so we had the same three people in our lives through the whole journey of being pregnant, through the bed rest, through hopping um, down the entire journey. Well, I know because I have worked many years ago at the morning shows, Today Show, Good Morning America, when there were certain births that they often find out through the hospital, the sources in the hospital called the local news but that become like a world media event. There's been conjoined twins in Brazil and people are flying out or, you know, multiple, you know, there's, you know, sextuplets. And it's, I, I, the fact that the hospital was sophisticated enough to be ahead of that. Yes. Because most families don't know until somebody calls the local news, the nurse says, oh, you know, heads up, somebody just had conjoined twins. And so I'm really glad that you were ahead of that. Yeah, we just, we were surrounded by incredible people that guided us through things we never even thought were possible. Um, And they were always, the media, the outside media was always a few days behind or a few weeks behind what was happening. (laughs) Yeah. So the right people are coming into your life and helping you navigate this very unexpected, unimaginable position that you're in. Tell me about the day the girls were born. So we had been in the hospital on bed rest for about a week. And my husband was headed out to work um, and do his inspections for the day. And the doctor said, let's send you back home and, you know, we'll keep plugging away and cooking these babies, but you, you're going to go home this afternoon. And I said, great. And my husband went off to work and I stood up and I started to bleed everywhere. And so the nurses came in and the doctors all came back and said, all right, change of plans. These babies are coming today or tomorrow. Would you like to do it tonight or tomorrow morning? And so I called um, my husband back and I said, you got to come back. We're going to have these babies. And so um, we called the close family and friends that knew and they just packed the waiting room and they started to 
put all the monitors on and do everything. And we were wheeled in to get the cesarean. I am cut from belly button down, a very traditional C-section, no cute little C-section for me. And sure enough, at 6.03, they pulled two little purple babies out. And their biggest concern was because they were back to back, if they could not breathe on their own, they were worried about intubating them. Because I think when you intubate a person, you lay them flat on their back and then you put the tubes down and they were very concerned how they would do that if the girls were not breathing. And so I remember seeing little purple feet and they were whisked away to the intensive care unit and they started to breathe. And you could hear their little screeches and cries. And I just remember thinking, one thing down, here we go. (laughs) And the first moment you held them, you put them on your chest. What was that like for you? You know, we didn't for quite a while. So what happened was they stayed in the intensive care unit. I ended up seeing them quite a few hours later by the time they stitched me up and they were very concerned on making sure that the girls were fully, like where they were joined was fully closed. They were worried that it'd be like spinal bifida, that there'd be exposed spine and different things. And so I actually did not hold them for quite a few days later. It's very interesting. when they were in the NICU room, there were supposed to be, it's a room that should have five or six different little incubators. And they took all the incubators out, but one. And sure enough, there you could see, this is where we were to go to visit them. And we'd walk into the room and it was dark and you'd suit up and wear like big hazmat suits. But when I finally got to hold them, they were hooked up to tubes and oxygen and all kinds of things. And they look pretty terrible. You know, they have IVs in their heads and their legs, and they were so tiny. They were less than eight pounds together, and they really don't know how much each of them weighed. So what they did is they looked and said, this one looks a little bit heavier, so let's give her the extra ounce. But when we finally laid them on your chest, I think it's called kangarooing when you can hold them. It's very peaceful, but it was very, it's awkward because you have tubes and people and you don't know what to do. These are our first children and it's very weird. But within 17 days, we went home. Uh, We had doctors that were adamant, these girls will thrive better at home. So the quicker we can send them home, the better. What ended up happening is when we did finally get them home, we laid them in their in the one crib that we had. And James and I looked at each other and said, now what? What do you do? What do you do with them now? And we just stared at them thinking, huh, what do you do with them now that we're home? <laughs> well, I think the creativity and first of all, new parents and a new mom and finding the way to lovingly, thoughtfully, creatively care for these girls. So I know your mother-in-law is cutting onesies and then sewing them together because obviously they need to wear, you know, the same thing, but their little legs each need to pop out and breastfeeding you quickly, which is, you know, such a process for mom figure out, well, if I'm breastfeeding, then one baby has to be upside down. (laughs) Like how, how does that work? And, but you, you acclimate and you find all these ways. And I thought it was cute about your husband, James, where you said eventually he was able to hold both the girls in one arm and a remote control. Yes. Um, 
Which I thought is such like a male thing. Like my husband is like conjoined with a remote control. It's like on the chest. It's in the pillow next to him. So I'm like, of course he figured that out. Of course they do. Yeah. Of course. But I do want to go back to what you said about this societal issue around differences Mm -hmm. and what that means. And, you know, I have a cousin with achondroplasia, which is a form of dwarfism. Her husband and her two children have it as well. I actually did an interview with them. And, you know, we were talking about media and portrayals. And, you know, at one point, their livelihood would be, or the expectation, well, you can join a circus. People will stare at you. You're different. Your body's different. And portrayals in the media still, that they're like mythical creatures. And they are, in fact, phenomenal human being who happened to have different bodies. So I'm curious, as you brought the girls out into the world, what did you feel that weight? Did you sense that? Are you mama bear? And by the way, they were gorgeous babies. I mean, those little cheeks, I wanted to like rub up in them when I looked on the picture. But how did you do that as a mother who was falling in love with her two daughters who outwardly had a physical difference that people were likely curious about in a healthy or maybe an unhealthy way? You know, and it was an internal struggle, especially at the beginning when we were pregnant with them, because here I think I'm bringing two standard children into the world, and that's not what we were doing. And so over time, I became very mama bear, And what we started to do is as we went, um, we actually got on an airplane when they were conjoined and this man got so upset with me that I was being too cheap that I would not buy the twins two separate car seats. And I giggled and I just looked at him and I said, well, when you have conjoined twins, you can figure out how to put them in separate car seats. But until that time, they're going to share a stroller and a car seat. That's my world right now. And my husband loved it. Like he just thrived on going grocery shopping with the girls because he would hold them by their handle, as he would call it, where they were conjoined. And he would walk through the store holding them with one hand and then be picking up different things with the other. And people would just come running with that. Oh, no, you're going to drop one. And he's like, no, look, they came with a handle. (laughs) And so we just owned it around our community, around our area. And what was happening? happening is because our local media was sharing the story a little bit behind, our community knew that we were here. So we would go grocery shopping and people would say, we're praying for you. We're with you on this journey. And so it got easier and easier as we got through this, you know, this summer that they got bigger and bigger because when we started, the girls were less than eight pounds. But by the time we were in the operating room to separate them, they were about 33 pounds together. So they were good size, two babies, but they could hold their heads up and, and, you know, it starts to kind of be this norm for you that you're like, I give one a bath, the other got a bath. And it was just our normal and our reality that we, we settled right into over time. So eventually you are presented with an option to separate the girls. So what are the details of that option? And the risks associated. And I know you say the two weeks leading up to that 
surgery are very difficult and some deep introspection. Can you explain that? Yeah, we actually decided that we were going to separate them way back at that MRI appointment. So we knew that when the girls were turning 20, 20 years old, if they looked at us and said, mom, why did you make the decision to separate us? And based on the information we had, we could live with the decisions and the consequences. So if they were both in wheelchairs or only one survived, we felt the risk of separating them would be worth it, that they could live independent lives. Because I always thought, imagine going on a date and then you look over your shoulder and there's your sister right there. I thought, no, I think she'd rather go on a date in a wheelchair by herself and find her independence on her own. So we made the decision to separate them way back you know, when they were in utero. So the doctors and nurses were already on that path as we gave birth and as we did a handful of surgeries leading up to the separation. So they were planning for almost a year by the time we got to the separation um, surgery day. Yeah. And you said, you know, the layers of it, like, are we playing God? These girls are healthy as what if one of them is paralyzed? What if one, you know what I mean? Such a big, big decision. But you, again, had the faith and the intuition to move forward. What can you tell me about the day of the surgery? You know, going back to those two weeks prior is when I really did the, are we playing God and should we stop? And that's where I think that's a beautiful piece about being married. My husband looked at me and he said, the train is rolling. We made the decision, this is going to be great. This is going to be what we expect it to be. Just keep going with me. And so on the morning of the separation, it was one of those where you're holding them and they were so peaceful. The girls were in very much a very, very peaceful state. And they had not eaten for almost 24 hours prior to the surgery time. And it was one of those moments where I just went, we're in the right place doing the right thing. And so we walked them down to the operating room and we laid them down on the big sterile table and we left. And so we ended up down in the waiting room with our family and friends. And so I remember one of the nurses coming in and she said, at 10.03, we finally cut skin. And I knew at that moment, this is it. This is what we've been working so hard to do. And you cannot turn back now. And about an hour, an hour half later, one of the plastic surgeons came up to the room and he said, can I tell you something? And we said, of course. And he said, when we open them up, it's as if God gave us a dotted line. You could see exactly where we were supposed to cut them apart. This was Lexi's half and this was Sydney's half. There was no confusion inside their bodies. And I kept telling God, I'm like, just yell to me one time, I am doing what I'm supposed to do. And I remember thinking, thank you. That was loud and clear. And then the main surgeon came up and he said, do you want to see your girls? And James and I just teared downstairs. And it was very, I want to say sad in a way. It's so interesting because I was going to ask you if there was a loss in a sense. Yeah. There definitely was a loss. 
the entire time as we prepared for this separation surgery, we took advantage of them being conjoined. It is the bottom line is you gave one a bath, the other got a bath. When one was screaming, she was rocking her sister to sleep. When um, you fed one, you might as well feed the other. She's right there. And so as soon as I saw Sydney turn the corner and just saw her one little body on the bed, tears just, they, they well up and you think, you're so tiny. Where's the other little black fuzzy head? And where's the reality that I know? And she went by and about 45 minutes later, Sydney came by on her own bed. And I just remember thinking, now what do I do? They're separate. Who do you go to first? And am I playing favorites? And how does this happen? And my husband and I just stood there in, in the intensive care unit. And I looked over at him and he was, tears were rolling down his face. And I said, what's wrong? And he said, I don't know how to hold just one baby. Mm-hmm. And so you take a breath and go, we really embrace this reality and this this is our world. And how old were the girls when you told them that they were born conjoined? You know, because we had the media, that that small group that was following us, a few times they would play what the girls termed as the mommy and daddy show with those babies on there. And so they'd play it and the girls just could not connect that that was them. And so over time, we would tell them, you know, at one point you were stuck to your sister and it actually was funny because Lexi and Sydney, I said, all right, we're going to go play at another set of twins house today with their toys at their home. And the girls go running off and they came back a little bit later. And Lexi said, you forgot to tell us, mom, where were they conjoined? And I thought, that's your reality with twins. That's what you think. All twins were joined at one point. And I'm, I just giggled and I thought, how neat that she thought that was normal. Yeah. And it was for them. You know, I loved reading your message, your lesson. And these girls have really been, you know, your greatest teachers on earth from everything I've read. Yes. But it's about your very deep understanding of connection and human connection. And you've said it beautifully that we have lifetimes of connection with our family, with our friends, with our co-workers, and eventually broken connections in times. So what is your greatest lesson about connection? We need it. We need it to survive. We were not meant to be in this world solo. And like I'm a true introvert, but I'm still meant to be in connection with people. When you look back in your life, you think of the connections. What difference did I make in somebody else's life? And how was I a piece and a part to making their world better? And that's a key piece for us. And we need to keep that in mind, especially as the world is going through all these transitions and all the things with social media. We're meant to be connected. We talked about the girls being your teachers. What is your greatest lesson, the thing you know to be true that you didn't before that day that you found out you were carrying conjoined twins? I think my greatest lesson really has been listen to your gut. Your answers are really inside there if you quiet your mind and hear it, that listen to it. And I think that has been 
one of those eye-opening things that sometimes when your gut's speaking to you, I would be running so fast in life, wearing all these hats and roles and everything for everybody else and ignoring what my gut is telling me. But as I went through the journey with the girls, listening to my gut has made me very much in tune with that piece of me, which I think is somewhat your soul speaking to you. Emily, thank you for that. You are a beautiful storyteller, and I am so excited to meet the girls and hear their story. Yes. So on that note, we do a little thing called rapid fire, and I thought it would be fun. Do you remember the newlywed game where like they ask yes. those people this, this same question? <laughs> yes. Unfortunately, it, it led to fights with feisty people like... How do you, you know, know my favorite order or whatever? So I'm gonna play the I'm gonna play that game. I'm gonna ask you and then I'm gonna ask the girls and see what measures up. Are oh, you awesome. are you ready? Yes. Okay. So in a nutshell, how would you describe the girls' personalities? Sydney is stubborn, kind, and most definitely gonna change the world. Lexi is quiet, reserved. She's a force to be reckoned with but super quiet. <laughs> I love that. Your biggest vice? <laughs> Gummy bears. <laughs> the girls' biggest vices? Their phones. <laughs> the thing about you that makes them roll their eyes? Oh, asking them to do chores, those dishes. This is, I now know, I said the assumption is that you cook, which by the way is an area <laughs> where I have opportunity for growth. So it may not be you, maybe James, but their favorite home-cooked meal. Oh, it used to be meatloaf until they turned vegan a few years ago. And uh, gosh, in high school, they both flipped to vegan. So it was meatloaf for years. Of course they're vegan. I mean, they're 20 and in college. Everyone's yes. vegan, right? I know they make so many weird things now. <laughs> <laughs> Your wish for their future? Oh, happiness and being content to find that happiness, for sure. Emily, this was such a pleasure. I am grateful to have met you. So thank you for making the time to be here and trusting me to play a part in sharing your story. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm very grateful for sharing their story as I think, especially in this day and age, we need good stories to be out in the news and out in the world. Could not agree more. Surprise! We decided we just had to meet the twins, see what they're up to, hear their thoughts on their remarkable birth and the connection they have today. So we are bringing you a bonus episode that is live right now in your feed of my conversation with former conjoined twins, Lexi and Sydney Stark. These girls are awesome and they totally give me faith in this next generation of young women. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to check out Step Up. If you're looking for ways to give back, why not sign up to be a Step Up mentor and work with girls who are looking for a little guidance from someone like you. You can find Step Up at swun.org. Once again, I truly wish you the happiest of New Year's. Check out our bonus episode, and we'll see you next time. All the Wiser is produced by Erica Gerard at Podkit Productions. 
Our sound engineer is Kelly Kramerick, and our associate producer is Kessie Hollister. Thanks for being a part of the All the Wiser podcast. You can subscribe to the podcast, read our show notes, or get in touch with us at allthewiserpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at All the Wiser Podcast. Send us a note. We would love to hear from you. And as always, thanks for listening. Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.